Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as creative director owner of Campaign Edge, author of The Hard Sell on Gruen, Agony, Studio 10, PVO, PM Live. In the drum, Mamma Mia. I write, I speak. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Dee Madigan. Hi, Steve. Hello, Dee. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? When people ask what I do, it's it's quite, you know, it's weird because I do. Mm. So, but generally I'd say my main job is I'm a creative director of an ad agency. So advertising is what I do. What does it mean to be the creative director of anything? Oh, well, you, you write the ads, basically. You mm. come up with the concepts and you control the creative process all the way through. So Lots of whiteboard? Um, no. It, you, if you're doing it in a team, you do, but I, I tend to do it by myself, so it all happens in my weird little head. Where do you get the inspiration for all of that? It's one of those things, and it's really hard to explain because people are always like, oh, well, I've got an idea for an ad, and it's like, well, that's great. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not having an idea for an ad, it's having 27 ideas for an ad, you know, because the client yeah. might reject the first, you know, and, and doing it on a really specific brief um, for a really specific target audience and a really specific medium. And you've, you've, you, you can learn to do your craft better as you go along, but you either have a good imagination to come up with ideas or you don't. I think to begin with, there's, there's sort of something that's sure. inherent in your makeup. How do you then, uh, I guess, balance knowing what the client wants versus what the client needs? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it, um, it can be a fairly robust process. <laughs> 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 um, it, it's, it was different, you know, when, you were, when I was sort of a junior creative in a big agency and that you'd often battle with the suits and the, who'd sort of say, oh, no, it has to be this and that, and you'd, be, and you'd sort of fight for more creative ideas. It's, it's a hard balance because clients want to stick as much information about their product as they can in an ad, and we're trying to pull as much information out so that mm. there's room for an idea. And I always say to a client, you can put everything you want in an ad, but if yes. no one's paying attention, you've wasted your money. But having said that, there are a lot of creatives who are pretty naughty and just do, <laughs> you know, they almost, it's like it's art, it's like it's not freaking art, it's, you know, <laughs> it's advertising. And, um, and they almost don't really care about the product, it's all about the idea, and you think, well, that's pretty bad too. But I'm really lucky now, most of the clients I have um, tend to sit in the union space mm. or political party space, and they're all, they're pretty good at, at listening. Yeah. yeah. They are... Uh... Is it that they recognise their shortcomings or they're just more pragmatic? Um, it's that they don't have marketing degrees. I have a deep distrust of people with marketing degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's part of it. Yeah, and they are entirely pragmatic. They're just... Because things... You test them in the sort of research groups, which isn't a bad way because they're the people who are going to be, you know, swayed mm. ultimately as to whether the ad works. And really, if it, you know, if the research group likes the ad, then it goes ahead, which makes it kind of a simple... Process, really. Yeah. yeah. So. Is there an ad that stands out that you're most proud of, that you have your name attached to? Um, like, certainly of, of a campaign, mm. I would say the Queensland 2015 election. I was pretty damn <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> um, in terms of creativity, I did a campaign for um, Mighty Dog that got a finalist at Cannes, which mm. is always a really sort of a good thing to do. Mm. Um, and then there was an ad that I did on, bizarrely, on... Panty liners that ended up being the most um, effective Johnson and Johnson ad in the world that year, and that was quite nice too. Really? Yeah. 
What made it so successful? Well, what it was was pushing the client away from the area of um, being... Um, uh, they wanted to sort of, you know, have the freshness and the blue liquid and that. And I sort of said, you know, the reason you actually have, you know, you want fresh underwear really for girls is, you know, in case you get lucky. Mm. So we kind of did a whole ad based on that. You know, it was my grandma told me to always wear fresh underwear in case I get hit by a bus. And she looks at a cute guy and just says, I can think of a much better idea. <laughs> oh, much better reason or something. And that, um, yeah, did really, really well. So, so and that was good because it made the client realise that, you know, a little bit of engagement and humour in that, in particularly in feminine hygiene areas because I used to get stuck on every single tampon ad. If you're a female in the ad agency and there is a tampon brief, it will end up on your <laughs> desk every time. But then you'll argue with, you know, the suits will sort of say, well, this tampon's got eight grooves, not six, so we should be selling that. And you go, trust me, on this one, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. You put it up, you pull it out, that's kind of it. <laughs> so, so we'd have ongoing sort of fights on that sort of thing. And, and as for the bloody blue liquid, you're like, ah. Anyway, but yeah. So what? But to be honest, I was a. They were pretty um, adamant that it had to be, you know, chick on a beach thing. So I just like fine. So what I'd do is get the globe and spin it, mm. and choose a location, and then write the ad. Thought if I'm going to have to do an ad with a chick on the beach, it's going to be a really nice beach. Let's get somewhere nice. Yeah. So yeah, it was great. I sort of I, Halong Bay. The trick was to choose a location that you couldn't recreate here. Yeah. So yeah. So Halong Bay in Vietnam was beautiful for that because of course you got the the rock sculptures mm. coming out and uh, Fiji and. I even managed to go to Prague for tampon, the only one that didn't have a chick on the beach. It was, so it's not a lot of beaches in I, Prague? I, I sort of convinced them, and as it turned out, it didn't perform very well. <laughs> so there might be something in the chicks in beaches, yeah. <laughs> Dealing with politicians and unions and, and the, like that side of advertising and that sort of thing must be fraught with danger. I, I can't think of a more polarising topic yeah. than dealing with politics, short of uh, politics. Yeah. Look, you. Uh, for me, I love it because it's kind of my two interest areas. And, and it sort of happened organically. I was doing mainstream brand advertising and starting to do political commentary. Mm. And politics has always been something I'm really passionate about. And so getting the chance to sort of combine the two is yeah. for me, it's, yeah. And it is sort of polarising, but I'm sort of fairly firmly on one side anyway, so I kind of don't get... You wouldn't do it unless... You certainly wouldn't do election campaigns unless it was something you were passionate about yeah. because, you know, the money and the hours are <laughs> brilliant. Oh, and the criticism that flies around, right? Because oh, yeah. in 2015, and please correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, my perception is that the people behind the campaigns, like it, the market, people that vote, people that watch mm. TV and listen to radio and read the papers, are far more savvy about or at least want, like to think they can get under the skin, can, can can scratch beneath what this big glossy thing is that's being sold to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and with shows like Gruen, yeah. we're far more aware of the people that help yeah. the politicians which is not make a bad, Which is not a bad thing, because it means the sort of manipulative ads don't work well, which I don't think is mm. a bad thing. I'm not a fan of that kind of... Yeah, I always... And it might be, you know, it might just be being a wanker here, but, um, you know, that it is should be the truth well told no matter what it's yeah. doing. But, yeah, with um, particularly with politics, the last thing you want to do is do glossy, super clever ads because it would actually just piss people off. And I think people always say with political ads, they always say, oh, that wouldn't work on me. And you sort of go, it's actually not supposed to. Unless you're a swinging voter in a mm. marginal seat, that is the only person the ads are supposed to work on. And that's why negative ads will always be a thing. People go, I hate negative ads. So if you're not interested in politics and most of the swinging voters aren't swinging because they're choosing who to vote for, that you don't give a shit. 
So you have to get their attention, and we're hardwired to notice negative stuff more yep. than positive stuff. So negative ads work, but they can't be the old, you know, droning voice, Tony Abbott will kill your baby sort of stuff. It has mm. to be sort of a little bit more interesting than that. Like with Queensland, with Campbell Newman sort of things, we tried to sort of inject almost a bit of humour mm. into it, and that's a better way to do a negative ad, I think. You know, we didn't have newspaper clippings and all that sort of rubbish. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't make... We've gone through... In, in even my short time of caring about politics and watching it on TV, um, vicious attack ads to uh, almost 100% positive campaigns. I remember, uh, I think it was the Kevin 07 campaign. I, I can't recall. I, I'm happy to be correct. I can't recall a negative ad. Oh, there was plenty. Yeah, yeah, even the most I didn't pay attention. Yeah. Um, but then at the time of recording now, we've got, well, the new Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Hot dude. Yep. Well, I, I yeah. take it. And to anyone who says you can't, that sexism, the reverse sexism, reverse sexism is not a thing, okay? It just isn't. <laughs> it's not a thing. No. I, I look at the way that he, I'll call it playing the game, but the way he's presenting politics and dealing with the media, that's, at least at the start, looks to be a pretty decent shift in how we see politics in Australia compared to the way he's playing it in Canada, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I... Look, it's... It's, or is it's, it all a front? Have I misinterpreted it? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think it is a front. But I think that sometimes it's tapping into the mood that's in the public, you know, mm. the public mood. That's where it sort of works. So, so Kevin 07 worked because there was a mood for change. There always is. Even the yeah. best governments after a couple of terms, people want, you know, a bit of a change. So if you can tap into that sort of psyche, you can get that really positive feeling out there. But if the mood isn't out there in the electorate, no amount of kind of nice words and positive stuff will concoct it. Mm. Ads, ads sort of reflect as much as change. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, I, I look at it, I was particularly flawed. I, like everybody else, I think in the world that has a Facebook account, has seen the uh, the question where he yeah. was asked by a journalist, uh, well, there's been a couple of exchanges, one where a journalist challenges him about getting rid of somebody out of the party and there were some boos from the collected noddies behind him. Hey, no, 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 they're, they're doing their job and they're asking a question holding us to account, and that's what they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And I just went, holy... Holy cow, that's, yeah. Where did he come from? But yeah. then the announcement of his cabinet, a journalist asked him, why did you choose to have so many women in your cabinet? 2015. I mean, I it was know. Perfect, the perfect answer. And this is the thing. I think that politicians have all have been a bit scared to just say, you know, just be honest. And, and when when they do, it, it cuts through. It's, you know... But, I, look, I hope he is the real deal. He certainly sounds like it. So. It'd be amazing for Canada if he is. Yeah, yeah. And um, hopefully politics worldwide because people look at that sort of stuff. And we've got a, uh, an election coming in 2016. Mm. Are we going to see the reinvention of either political party's leader in a more Justin Trudeau style? I think Turnbull is probably um, doing not a dissimilar thing in that, um, like, he's sort of... He's actually doing quite well. <sighs> I hate that. Um, in, <laughs> in terms of, like, how he's positioning things, you know, he'll sort of say, we're looking at tax reform, but there won't be any, if, you know, but we'll make sure we look after, you know, these people. Whatever. He, he comes yep. across as decent. Whether it's real or not, I'm, you know, time will tell. Um, but... Um, uh, look, I don't know. I, I think you can't can, you can't fake it. Mm. Eventually, people see through you, and I think that's what happened with Kevin. So, so it'll be interesting to see with Trudeau if in if in a year's time it's still the same person we're seeing, yeah. or if it was just a, a front. It's very easy to fake something in an election campaign because it's six weeks, and you can do that. 
because and the public really before that are not paying any attention anyway. Mm. Whether it's um you know, but you can't fake it more than that. People start to pick up on it. It's 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 a tough game to play. Well, because the news cycle as it is, it means you're on TV a couple of times a day, sort of. Whereas before, it might be once a week. So it was a really different sort of game. From someone, and look, this has become a political podcast very quickly. Um, <laughs> Most things with me. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Uh, uh, journalists and their role in, in interrogating or questioning or, or, or challenging politicians. I, I'm, I perceive that on the whole, it seems to be a much more dumbed-down conversation when it comes to journalists asking questions, asking the hard and difficult questions. Uh, is that because we just need better journalists or is it because politicians are uh, limiting their ability to respond by just delivering the three sound bites of the day? Yeah, I, look, I, I, do, I think we've got some great journalists in mm. the country and I do think there's plenty that do ask the hard-hitting um, questions, you know, people like Lenore Taylor, uh, yep. you know, um, and even people like Nikki Sava. Yeah, there's yep. some really sort of smart journalists out there, and there's some real shithouse ones as well. Who, mm. you know, sometimes you just think they just feel like mouthpieces for a political party. Yep. Um, but, but no, I I think the problem there's such a, an uneasy um, relationship between politics and journalists, you know, they need each other, they feed mm. off each other. So, yeah, sometimes you think the relationship gets too close, that, that, that the journalist knows they need access to the politician, so if they go too hard on them, they lose the access, yeah. whereas really they should just have access regardless. But, um, you know, there's been some great... And Sarah Ferguson's another yeah. one. There's, you know, there's even Lisa Wilkinson, you know, you, you sort of you yeah. just named all women. I'm just trying yes. to think of some... I think Pete Van Onselen's really good too. Mm. I think he goes hard. So, yeah, there's some good ones out there. You're very cynical about our journalists. Possibly. <laughs> I don't mean to tie them all with the same brush, though. I agree that there are many that are good. Mm. I think that we also see, however, many that either are ill-prepared or, yeah, they're I, not I think digging. their job is very hard now. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just for filing a story even once a day. It's continuous. Mm. So the pressure is, is, you know, is enormous to just to provide content constantly. Would you advise, and I, we can make it hypothetically, uh, with the election campaign about to kick in in 2016, whoever you're working with to... I'm not actually doing the next election. Which even I'm better then. Kind would, of okay with. Would you advise the party that you would have worked with, mm. anyone... We to, could assume it would be the Labor Party. I think to get involved <laughs> and do stuff with BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love BuzzFeed. Mm. I, um, I just... I think they... Uh, when it first came out, I just thought, oh, it's... Um, Dumb down, but it's not. It's really engaging. But I think, um, particularly Mark Stefano or whatever, mm. he's very, very clever. I think he just, he makes things palatable, interesting. But he can go pretty hard as well. I, yes. I really like BuzzFeed. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. I really made a meal of that question. I'm sorry. That's right. You'd know what I was meaning. In the midst of all this, D, mm-hmm. what is your source of strength? I really enjoy what I do. Like and that makes it all the difference in the world. It's so so yeah. It's fun and it's constant, <laughs> and and you also feel like you're doing stuff that makes a difference. Not getting people just to buy stuff off the supermarket shelf. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I'll never be rich doing it, but I'm, I love it. I absolutely love what I do. So that 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 gives me strength. 
Did you always want to get into advertising when you were No, I, well, I always wanted to write. That yeah. was what I knew. And um, I was always fairly passionate about politics from a very young age. I wanted to write and I didn't want to starve for my art. So when I, <laughs> so I, um, and bizarrely, someone, you know, had, though I had very clear goals and no one suggested advertising and it's one of those fields you only get into when you know people like it's, mm. no one at school said, well, this is, I literally didn't know about it. So I did my, um, after my HSC, I did, started a bachelor of business in property. I had this, <laughs> this plan that I was going to make a million dollars retire when I was 40 and, and write and did the course for a year and it was like, oh, no, no. So I switched, I was just, and I was so terrible at it. So I kind of then switched over to teaching. It's kind of something you fall into, you know, English mm-hmm. teacher because it's, and I finished my degree in teaching and, um, but it was never, you know, I didn't have that dead poet society dream <laughs> at all. And I had really good kids. I taught at Fort Street High and, and it's, so it's a selective school and yeah. they were really bright, but um, it was just not me and I was managing a pub at the same time, and then I, um, and a lot of advertising guys used to drink in there. I could, I could get the best cocaine. And, um, allegedly. And, <laughs> allegedly. And um, they suggested that I do um, award school, which is an advertising course. And when I did it, if you got in the top 12, or in the top 10, you got an automatic job placement. Wow. Yeah, so that is how I got in, which was great. And I, and I got in the top 10 and got a job placement and, 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 and did it. And it was great. Like the first five years, were amazing because you, you you know you're young you're earning a lot of money and you're travelling the world and five star accommodation business yeah, class yeah. like it is so much fun but eventually after a while you do start to there's only so many airports yeah and also no it's more that what you're doing with your craft <laughs> is making people kind of feel shit about themselves to buy stuff mm. and that's a lot of what advertising is about and I sort of found myself being more and more uncomfortable with that side. How does an English teacher get to be managing a pub simultaneously? When I was at uni, I used to work at the Clock Hotel, where allegedly there was lots of coke, and um, in the bar. And um, when I was teaching, because it was just a, a one-year contract, I kept up that job. I was um, By that stage, after a couple of years, I was managing the bar. Mm. And then at the end of um, my teaching year, I knew I didn't want to do it anymore. And the lady who owned the pub said, well, why don't you manage the hotel for me? And, and we did a two weeks on, two weeks off thing. So she went up to her farm for two weeks and I managed the whole hotel for two weeks and did that, which was a bit crazy. But I'd grown up in pub. My parents yeah. had had a pub when I was a teenager. So I used to work in the bar every night and I used to get $20 a week. And I thought... It was a lot of money, and Good now I look back and think that was bloody slave labour. <laughs> you got scammed. Yeah, totally, and also I was well underage. <laughs> <laughs> Are there laws around the serving of alcohol? I think, and I could be wrong, that when you were the publican's children, you could from 16, but that could be completely wrong. But I wasn't 16, Man. I was 14. <laughs> Pouring a damn good beer. <laughs> well, look, it's getting. The head right. It is always, it's all about the head. Is very critical. Yep. yep. And, um, and, and unappreciated art. Just this pour it into the glass, let it stand, pour a bit out rubbish. In an old country pub where you'd have the, the, the pipes would literally freeze up as well. Mm. And when it gets too cold, too much head, you see. So I'd be sitting there with a hairdryer on the pipes trying to get the ice off the pipes to get the, sort mm. of the beer pouring. I've poured so many beers in my life. The wastage that modern pubs must go through is incredible. 
Yeah, it's much, much less than it used to be because it used to be if you didn't tap it right or you didn't have your gas exactly right, mm. you would waste heaps, whereas now it's a lot more sort of regulated. Like, it's it's uh, more computerised now. So I think the waste, wastage is actually a lot less than it used to be. Gosh. Welcome to Pub Talk. <laughs> Dee, what's your experience of family? Um, in what sense? In the I... sense, well, you could either talk about life in the pub or you could talk about your mob now, or, or however you experience, however you see that happen for you? Um, well, I had a very weird sort of upbringing where my family kind of fell apart when I was a teenager and we all ended up in different sort of places. But for me, um, I've got three kids, mm. which I always think is one too many. But I'm never <laughs> sure which one I should get rid of. <laughs> it's like, to that John Howard, you know, one for mum, one for dad, one for the country. It's like, bastard. Um, so just uh, give one to the country yeah 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 you take it you raise it um yeah no so that's pretty full-on because they're quite young they're five six and actually no five one's just turned seven and ten and there's 14 months between the last two which was freaking crazy Mm. so um that's crazy because i'm away a lot um you know one or two days a week but um, what I'm hoping is they get to see that mum does something that she really enjoys doing and yeah. when I'm home with them I try to be quite present with them, which is really hard because you know, kids can be really boring. Yes. Like, you know, and you sort of, you know, you have to make yourself put down the phone or put down the other thing and, and you know, but you know, mummy, play with me. And you're like, oh, <laughs> sure, yep. sure. They do, they, well, I hope they get more tactile. I've got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old and... The eldest is a boy. He's just got to the point where he is way more interested in things like Xbox, yeah. which is right up my alley. So, yeah. grouse, we'll spend some time. Let's go and shoot some aliens. <laughs> um, my daughter is still happily playing with dolls and those sorts of things. And, yeah, yeah, Dad, can we do something? And I go, okay, what would you like to do? And she sort of stares at me blankly and, uh, um, we could play with dolls. <laughs> okay, look, if that's what you really want. Yeah. It turns into a Godzilla moment. Something crashes in and breaks the dollhouse. I don't yeah. Know. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. no, my um, my daughter, she doesn't... I bought her this great doll's house that I thought she would love and she hasn't really got into dolls. I think just with two brothers. It's, mm. just, it's a fairly blokey household and she just sort of goes along with that. But we limit um, electronics. Um, I'm not one of those people who say, oh, children shouldn't be on them because it's the reality of our yeah. lives. But... I do not let them have electronics during the week. It's only Friday nights and Saturdays. So yep. that's, um, and we have a farm up north that we have no, um, no TV and no electronics except for mummy's mine because I have my, all my books on my iPad. So, yep. so yeah. And I found that was really good because it was just becoming just a negotiating nightmare. You know, mm-hmm. put the put the because they've all got iPods, which is actually great iPods because you can get. Three kids with an iPod, you can buy one game for yep. $1.90, whatever, and download it onto Oh, three. thank you, family sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. Um, and, and also, they, they got a Wii U last Christmas, I finally relented. Um, but I think they would have preferred the Xbox. <laughs> but yeah, we, we limit that just because the negotiations, I just couldn't bear all the time. It's like, you know, can you just can I play my iPod just for an hour and whatever? So mm-hmm. now, just the blanket rule just changes everything, just none during the week. Your, the, the school the kids go to haven't started talking about an iPad or a tablet program or anything like that? Um, they will. My eldest is now, he's in year five, but started at the, the local college school. Mm. Um, and they, I think, for high school will, but in junior school, no. I think they've got them in the classrooms, but yeah. um, it's just the little primary school up the road. So, you know, they're, they're, fairly, they're fairly all competent on computers. Sure. I think you've got to be, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Dee, what's the most Australian thing you've ever done? <laughs> 
Um, oh, I like to drink a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> they said it was quite funny the other day. Um, when the All Blacks won, my husband is a, an All Black supporter, mm. and um, he was walking around the house. I'm being sorry. Really happy, I know, I know, right? And but the kids were walking around the house. Um, because he, he watched the game three times in a row. Mm-hmm. So the kids retaliated by walking through the house going, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. <laughs> my husband hates. <laughs> so, um, so, and I was in, certainly encouraging that, so that was quite Australian. Australian, mm. mate. What's the most saucy thing I've ever done? Oh, once I hired a, um, a, a ute at, from Cairns and drove up the Telegraph Road to Bamaga yeah. and camped all the way, and that was pretty Aussie. Was in a pretty, ute? In a ute, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it was good. Was that just I want to go to Bamago? Dunno. We just said let's just do this and we did and yeah. And it's at the, I don't know, and we did the old telegraph road, not the modern sort of there's some newer sections, so it's just like it's corrugated mm. the whole way. It's like Ugh. Yeah. It was a good trip. Very Australian up there. It's an extraordinary landscape. That's beautiful it's, country, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Loved it. I'm always amazed. Every chance I get I I go out into very not very populated places with my day job working mm. doing mining things, and there are some stunning landscapes in those it's, sorts yeah, of things. It's so so beautiful. Yeah, we we really it's we're really lucky. But the thing is with the kids is it's, I always feel like oh, we should take them those places, but I just know what kids are like in a car for a long distance. Mm. And it's like mm. Can we, yeah, can we not just have that transporter thing happen? Where yeah, where you're there, yeah. Here we are. Yeah, we did a driving holiday actually two years ago up through the snowies in winter and during it discovered that my daughter gets really bad car sickness. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that beforehand. She was sort of whining and whinging the whole time and then just started throwing up just constantly. It's like, oh, God. It's 2016. The journey isn't as much fun. No, no. I wasn't as a kid either, though. I, I got car sick as well, so I just spent yeah, every family holiday just throwing up the oh. backseat of the Holden Kingswood. Yeah. There's Australia. Australia, mate. Where is the line between public and private for you? Uh, that's a good question, because everyone says, um, oh, you put so, you, so much of yourself out on social media, but they'd be surprised what I don't mm. put out. Um, so for... Uh, elections, things like that, I, I tend to sort of not put out anything at all while I'm doing them because it's my job. But um, yeah. I, and yeah, some people don't put photos of their kids, which I totally get. I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm a sharer. Yeah. I, it doesn't really phase me. I'm sort of happy to put things out there. Um, I mean, we all sort of curate these sort of fairly perfect snippets of unrealistic lives. <laughs> my life is not, you know. <laughs> I think if anyone followed my Facebook, they'd probably just think I drink too much, and they'd probably be right. (laughs) Says D taking a big glass of water. Water, Because I have got the worst hangover. Yes. (laughs) I was just going to leave it at that. Whatever. However you need to make it work, D. What's the hardest truth you've had to deliver? Um, The 2002. 12 Queensland election campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't really have to deliver it. Everyone knew what was happening, but it was um, that was probably the hardest political moment because Anna is a dear friend and mm. an awesome person, so that was fucking horrible. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Was it... And, and I'm sorry if you don't want to talk about it. No, no, it, that's okay. fine, sorry. <laughs> what, what made it the hard thing for you? Um, I think I went into it very idealistically, just thinking maybe it's possible, maybe it's possible, and it wasn't possible, and I should have known that from the beginning. So, um, But, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was hard. 
Yeah. But the good thing with that is it well and truly blooded me. Yeah. In that no other election will ever be that hard. Mm. So that's, you know, and that's actually a really good thing because the last thing you want to do working on an election campaign is actually be emotionally involved. You, you actually mm. need to be incredibly pragmatic and driven and sort of hard about it, which I am now. I mean, it made it easier working with people like Kevin Rudd. It was much easier not to care about them. <laughs> 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 Truth bombs are plenty. Can you do that again? <laughs> Dee, what makes you smile? Oh, lots of things. I spend most of my day laughing. I'm laughing today because um, one of the um, signs for the Brisbane... The, the Rod Harding is running for Lord Mayor of Brisbane. He's the mm. ALP candidate. And they put his sign up upside down today. And they came out and I was like, oh, my God, how, <laughs> <laughs> how does that even happen? <laughs> so the entire sign... <laughs> Upside down, and it's like everyone's just tweeted this morning. It's pretty funny. It's like you said, "Oh, what do you say? I um, I, I plan on turning traffic congestion on its head, but it's not quite like this." And so that that I was just laughing this morning, just going, "How? My goodness! <laughs> I don't know if they put it up in the dark or what, but hilarious." That's yeah. My goodness. What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Um, I want to build my business more, so. The, the problem with um, elections is they suck everything out of you in terms of your time mm. and, your, and your energy and everything. So what happens at the end of it is you come out and you go, oh, shit, I've got no clients. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I'm trying to do is build up my business so I have a regular sort of, uh, you know, a broader base of clients um, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, make it a successful business, hire lots of people, that kind of thing. But it's only a year old, the business, so it's, it's early days yet. You're in a pretty prime spot. Well, this is um, cutting Brisbane. edge. Yeah, not on campaign edge. I just use cutting edge because they part own me. They part own me. They part own me. Yeah, I'm part owned by my campaign edge is part owned by me and part owned by cutting edge. Which makes sense. I was yeah. just having this grand um, sort oh, of you slice thought, and well, dice. Well, this was mine. Yeah. Well, no, no, not even that. But just that the, the, the people own part of you physically, and that yeah. Dee Madigan's going to be listening no, on the no. stock exchange. <laughs> they own, they own my, my agency. It was good. Well, I'd worked with them on so many election campaigns, and we'd all got on so well yeah. that when I was sort of planning on sort of formalising an agency rather than because when I had my kids young, I was I ended up just working from home a lot, which you can do nowadays yeah. with the internet and whatever. Um, but it gets to a point where, unless you just want to keep doing that forever, if you want to build a business, you actually then have to have real estate and, and you know, mm. and uh, everything else that goes along with it. So I sort of started talking about starting a proper agency and, and cutting edge just said, we're in. It's like, a proper agency. A proper agency, not, not me at home on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Nor up the farm. No, no, no. Well, Dee, thank you so much for the things that you've shared today. The, the, what you have said is very special and you're highly valued. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Wonderful. Now, very quickly, yes. you're on Twitter. We understand that. <laughs> Are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to? Um, no. Are you ABC News intern? <laughs> no, no. We did that as a joke and April Fool's joke about four or five years ago where he pretended to be me and me him. But no, I do know who it is, but yes. no. I'm not. No, I'm still very cross that um, that Scott Bridges and Grumpy Stephen um, got rid of Run 2000. That's, I'm still angry about that. But no, I just have just me, and um, and I do have an Instagram account that I almost never use and I need to use, mm. um, and I have a work account campaign edge that I never use. So yeah, no, I, just, <laughs> I know for someone who's supposed to be 
you know, a social media expert. I just, um, yeah, I just do it all through me. Mm. Because, yeah, it's easy. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at D Madigan is indeed human. <laughs>